Welcome back to Brojo Online. Today we've got a new friend of mine, Teddy Wolseley. He runs the Wanting Less podcast. And he is a fascinating real-life example of someone who's been through a crisis and discovered integrity and confidence through that crisis and through learning how to turn desperation into success, both financial and spiritual. With no further ado, here's Teddy. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. Yeah, so my name is Teddy Woolsey. Um, I live here in Connecticut in the United States. And um, as I stand today, I work for a recruiting firm um, in sales. I'm doing fairly well at it, which is, which is great. Um, because sales can be a grind for sure. Um, I, let's see, my, where I stand today is I'm a, I, I'm a dog chasing cars and uh, basically I, I, I like to say that I found my car. <laughs> that's, that's the best way I can describe my, my, my thing. Um, today I, I'm passionate about being good at uh, whatever I do, um, but the problem I, I had before was just finding those things. So. Um, I do a podcast called Wanting Less Podcast. Uh, you can find me at wantingless.org on um, any major platform to listen. I also have a YouTube channel with the name Wanting Less, but the premise behind it today is that for all of us looking to start over um, and start over well, um, whether that is in a, after a very traumatic situation in your life, that could be a breakup, that could be a bankruptcy, um, could be a a loss of a loved one or really a personal crisis in any particular way. Um, we often go back to our old habits of starting over and starting fresh, thinking that we've learned new tricks and we haven't. We are simply trying it with the same gusto and same strategy and, and are shocked when the results uh, come out the same. So um, what I like to propose and what I try to teach is an example of long-term um, focused and intentional uh, activity in whatever it is that you want to do. And that goes along with your, uh, your, your mentality of being painfully, brutally honest with yourself and others uh, for, to find your joy and find your happiness and peace. So I, I think uh, you were like really uh, excellent in kind of scouting out uh, our similarities in that way. I, in the same way, basically discovered a way for myself to to find my truth what I actually cared about um, and it took me some time but what I actually cared about what I actually wanted to do and I basically eliminated eliminated every distraction from my life intentionally and and really formally actually um, to make that happen so here I stand today um, happier than ever in better shape than ever um, I'm in a committed, loving relationship with somebody who supports me and accepts me for the ridiculous person that I am. And um, I think I just finally feel really comfortable in my own skin and the way that my life has played out. Well, I think that's, that's essentially why, or I guess that's the instinct I have when I first reached out to you. Um, <laughs> I call it the scent. Like I can smell it. You know, it's really yeah, hard to describe. Yeah. Um, but I just, there's, there's little warning signs and subtle 
behaviors and so on indicate someone's gotten to that that place i think comfortable in your own skin that's a term i've heard confident people say a lot and it's also a goal i've heard not confident people say they wish they could achieve you know you, you talked about there's a few things i want to dive into obviously starting over is a big theme for you and um mm-hmm. You know, I've talked about this before, but I want to go into it again. What what starting over meant for you and what led up to it. What stands out to me is actually the name of your podcast is Wanting Less. You just talked about chasing a lot of cars and then choosing one. But there's elimination strategy, which really goes against the mainstream grain, which is essentially the opposite. Wanting more accumulation of stuff, extra activities, diversity of, of options and so on. Let, I, I want to just get straight into it. What does wanting less mean to you? And why is that more effective than kind of chasing more? Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny you should ask the question that way. Um, I actually created some shirts, uh, my first <laughs> merch, if you will. Um, and uh, on, the, on the front, it says simply more effective. Um, and, and the point, it's a play on words, but the, the point of it is that um, we only even if we reach our max potential in effort and time in a day, I mean, that, that day is limited. We, we only have so much of it. Um, the idea of spreading myself thin, um, trying to learn a new language or learn a new, like uh, guitar or, or get new friends, um, read more books, uh, wh- whatever it is. I could even get better at my job, whatever it may be the thought of like that list growing and growing and growing was, was draining me. Um, I, I felt like I couldn't get anywhere in any of those avenues. So, um, you know, I'd say, you know, we'll probably get into more, more of like my story about how I got here, but I'll say let's, we'll backtrack a little bit beyond like the actual moment of tragedy, if you will, or like the the turning point for me. But, um, I'd say some, at some point, uh, late 2018, early 2019 in particular, uh, I was reading this book called grit by Angela Duckworth. And, uh, the, the entire premise of the book is, is determining who has that thing, like who has that, like that moxie, that grit to, um, to push through when maybe somebody else of similar stature, capability, uprise, upraise that thing. Yeah. Parenthood. <laughs> Uh, thank you um does not have it like what what is it uh, what's the difference and um this woman angela she she tried to figure out what is who has it and why and and how can we leverage those skills and that sort of thing within the book uh she describes a story told by warren buffett's uh personal pilot i believe and he was describing a conversation that he and warren buffett had had and uh, for those who don't know who Warren Buffett is, he's a billionaire investor, probably in his 80s, uh, most famously known for owning Berkshire Hathaway, amongst many things. But he's lived a very simple life and a very straightforward life, very consistent life, and amassed million, uh, billions uh, along the way. But he's had a conversation with his personal pilot, and, and um, they're trying to source this out and figure out, um, you know, like how do we, you know, how do we achieve happiness when we've already done so much, you know, in, in life? And the pilot had been Air Force Two pilot, so he'd float for the vice president. Um, obviously, he's the personal pilot for 
one of the richest men on the planet right now, no small feat in and of itself. And, you know, he's lived a long life himself. And he said, surely you want to do more things than just fly me around to my appointments. And he said, yeah, of course I do. And he's like, well, tell me, like, well, what is it? And they start talking about it, listing it out. And once Warren Buffett realizes there's a, you know, the list is growing and growing, he says, listen, I want you to go home and I want you to list out your 25 uh, uh, top things that you want to do that you, you want to achieve in your life. And he says, once you get to that list of 25, stop it at, at that point. And I want you to separate all of those into two lists and, and choose your top five, your absolute most wanted, your top five, and uh, the 20 that are less important to you. And you're going to call your top five your most wanted or like your get after it list or whatever you want to call. That's obvious. But he gave the second list a very particular name, which was avoid at all costs list. To me, I, uh, for whatever reason, that was gospel to me. That really hit me in a different way. Um, and I think it was just something I needed to hear right then and there. Uh, so I took a really simple story and an anecdote from Warren Buffett in a personal conversation that may or may not have gone that way, um, again, with his pilot. And I took this and thought, you know what, if it works for him, maybe I can do it myself. And I still have the list right on my table over here of uh, my, my things that I wanted to accomplish and achieve. And um, I, I basically laid out the list over the next 10 years. And um, I settled on a few things and they were, they were earn $100,000 for the year uh, 2020. They were to um, get to 180 pounds um, with 10% uh, body fat, which is very hard to do, yeah. <laughs> especially when you're working really long hours and that sort of thing. Um, it is to pay off um, all of my debt by the time I'm 33 years old. I'm 31 now. And uh, the fourth is to monetize this platform. I thought this, you know, this is a really neat thing that I want to do and I, a project on the side if I can create another income stream. So I actually selected four with a, with a fifth that is kind of um, uh, in, in the wind, right? not in the wind, but it's, it's, to, it's to marry my significant other, which is, you know, that'll happen soon. So, um, but uh, I wanted to surprise her with that one. So hopefully she doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> But that is a goal of mine. I think she, you know, she's definitely, she's amazing. And she, uh, I, I want, I want that in general, but I, I want surprise effect, but that's, that's what my list came out to be. And from there, I basically formulated a plan, uh, for each and, and how to do that. Um, and I, when I wake up in the morning, I know that my primary focus is going to focus on those things. Um, and those things alone. And I am going to severely limit my distractions from spending time and things that do not contribute to those four to five things. Sounds so simple yet. So few people do this. You know, I like what you said, you know, you read a whole book and it's just one little anecdote in it and that's all you actually needed. You know, um, I get that so often, especially in nonfiction. I just really, I'm buying a book. I'm looking for a single sentence that's going to rock me. And then I, I sometimes I, I put a book down after that. You know, a great example aligned with what we're talking about was uh, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, which is all about the kind of subtle self-sabotage we do when we're getting close to succeeding at something. It's kind of, it calls it the upper limit problem. Just as we get to our upper limit, we kind of fuck things up when we come back down. And there's lots <laughs> of ways people do this. Sometimes they do it by actually getting sick, literally. They think, oh, I always happen to get sick just as work is going well or whatever. But it's their kind of physiological 
mind body connection trying to make sure you don't cross that line um, and my one is spreading myself thin it's, it doesn't happen all at once i gradually accumulate you know and i get to a point where i'm doing a lot of stuff pretty well but nothing mm-hmm. excellent and so it can only plateau and i think that's actually why you stood out to me as well it's partly a personal connection which is just recently i read the book essentialism and and like i said like both those books i just got this little wake-up call out of both of them essentialism says there's no such thing as priorities there's priority and everything comes after me under it and i was like huh i always said like these are my top 60 priorities you know like what the fuck (laughs) i was like okay i've got one right i've got one in each area of my life and that's it and it's just such a such a freedom but it was surprisingly difficult to actually live but this shit just creeps in this i think when we were first talking you mentioned shiny object uh, i had a coach that talked about shiny object syndrome sos you know i'm like oh there's a new thing i can do oh i've got a great yeah. idea and this stuff just spreads and it's actually a very <laughs> secret little strategy for my brain to stop me moving too fast for my for my courage to handle sort of thing but it actually just yeah. ends up stopping me let's now then see why it is that this has become so important to you because obviously reading that warren buffett story came at the right time there's something built up inside of you kind of looking for that clarification so let's let's hear the story man like how is it that you had your little crisis wake-up call you know what what went on for you there yeah so um the context of my upbringing is is important, but I'm going to keep it short for the sake of the story. Um, uh, to to understand me a little bit better and the, kind of what makes me whole is, uh, you know, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago in, in the States, and um, the area was extremely diverse. My parents made just enough money to keep food on the table, uh, but we didn't have much more beyond that. Uh, in fact, I remember us having like a little landscaping business on the side, so my dad would work full time bring us home after school and we go mow people's lawns to like add a little bit extra at the end of the month. Um, it also taught us like business savvy and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, we grew up in a very, very Christian home in a non very Christian family, (laughs) if you will. So we were the only ones in my friend group and my, uh, my family that really adhered to any sort of religion and sort of conservatism in that way. Um, I really took after that a lot because I think I had this natural search for meaning and purpose and uh, um, truth in and of itself. So I latched onto that as my truth growing up. Um, I had a few or a couple of particular rebellious moments where, you know, I would go um, off and, you know, I'd meet a girl and, you know, I'd just kind of like do whatever I wanted to do for a while and then come back and, you know, find my faith in religion again. So, the way that really played out was in college. Um, I, I started off at like uh, uh, junior college or uh, community college for a bit and didn't really have a direction. Uh, one day um, I broke up with my ex and um, I just had this like awakening that I had to like go become a pastor. And I felt like that was the thing. And um, I re- enrolled in classes at a very expensive private school uh, that if some friends would go- had gone to, that was completely overpriced and something I did not need to do. But I did anyways. Um, I met uh, this girl there. We um, 
dated for a few years, got engaged, uh, eventually got married. And by that point, I had a master's degree in theology and counseling. So it was actually a, a checkpoint to become a pastor and eventually like a professor um, in the world of like theology and apologetics, which is, uh, quote, the defending of the Christian faith, which looking at it today seems like a silly thing um, to have to defend something that's an idea and or a person uh, in, in Jesus, of course, and his gospel. Um, but that's a whole other discussion. Uh, so she and I, you know, we, we get married and I'm 25. Um, we moved out here to Connecticut. And the, the reason for that was that she wanted to go to school, um, to grad school out here. And uh, we found a particular school that was near an area that like could uh, kind of foster the lifestyle that frankly, mostly she wanted to live. And I just went along for the ride because I didn't really care. Uh, I think that's the story of many guys that they just, they could live in a box and be happy. And that's kind of how I felt. Well, um, there's also the premise that we were going to receive some sort of family money from her. Um, and I'm just, yeah, just going to be honest to go into the details, but um, it never came in. And um, what was crazy was like, looking back on it, you know, I definitely had questions and I definitely like was kind of like, hey, you know, we uprooted our entire lives to come here and do this. Like, what's going on? Like, we need to like do this. But I think I was so enamored with the with the idea of just like doing this thing, this adventure, and like you know, this new relationship, new marriage. Um, that I was like, fuck it, I don't care. Like, let's just let's just make this happen. Whatever. Um, unfortunately, she did not feel that way. I think it always stuck with her, and she was really bothered by the fact that we weren't able to like live that lifestyle that that we were expecting. So there's expectation and reality, and, and that connection never really really happened. So um, long story short, we were we were married for almost five years uh, together for almost eight, and uh, we reached a we reached this point where we realized um, we were being very. Uh, we were very dependent on one another for joy and happiness and how we spent our time. And, um, and I, I, we definitely recognized that, um, we didn't manage our money. Well, uh, we, you know, we were just starting to get places in our career, but at the same time, like we were still very, very broke, um, in the way that again, we were managing our money and, um, <laughs> I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. I, I um, we had this discussion in like the fall and winter of uh, 2017. And I had, uh, I had just found out that my the company I was working for and I saw a path to leadership uh, was relocating the connect the, the facility from Connecticut to New Jersey. And I, we weren't going to move down there. So I was like, well, I'm gonna have to find a new job. And um, you know, I found this new job at the company I'm at right now, but it's sales and it's very risky. Yeah, we had this discussion where we're, Basically, she she proposed. I think we should be spending some more time apart than we do, um, and just try to be more intentional about spending time with friends and not have to rely too much on each other. And at, at the time, I thought it was a great idea, and I'm glad she proposed it because I just got comfortable. Right? New Year's Eve that year, 2017, going into 2018, uh, sometime in the evening, uh, where I, I assumed we were just going to do something together, she calls me up and says she's at a friend's house. Um, and she's going to stay there and not invite me. <laughs> so it was very, uh, last minute. Um, I, I, I assume that most of the world celebrates New Year's Eve in a similar way. 
which is, um, you know, you're with your significant other, you do the kiss at midnight, that sort of thing. Um, and, and just with the people you love, like that's the whole point. You ring in the new year with the people you love. And um, it was just a really, really bad timing. It left a bad taste in my mouth. And I did the saddest thing ever. And I went and watched a movie by myself, um, <sighs> like close to midnight. And then um, I, cause I had no plans. All my friends were with their significant others or, or had plans or whatever it would be. I went home and, um, you know, just hung out with my dog and, and, you know, went to sleep and that was pretty much it. And, um, I, I, I didn't realize it then, but that was the beginning of the end. Uh, basically what had, what progressed after the fact was we spent, I, I don't believe there were, was any virtually any holiday celebration or anything, uh, that we spent together from then on. Um, we fought, we disagreed, my bad side came out, her bad side came out. Um, I, I noticed that she was spending tons and tons of time um, with this new group of friends that, oddly enough, were significantly older than us. Um, they were a part of a country club that's local here. Um, I had never been there, I had never met them. And again, it was very bizarre, it was very strange for me. Um, and I'm, I'm married, right? So I'm like, trying my best to like let's go to counseling let's you know figure this out I can't I'm not going to give up on this you know I'm <laughs> you know do the honorable thing and um <laughs> in the spirit of honesty after months of that happening and just trying to make this work seeing signs of light and then you know it that being closed off one morning it was a Saturday morning and I'm pretty sure I was drinking out of this mug actually which my which is my W monogram mug, drinking coffee, watching the news with my dog. And it's, I mean, it's early. It's probably like 6.55, 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And um, she had been gone the night before. She went off to Rhode Island with her friends. And to my surprise, she walks through the door, 7 a.m., 7.30, something like that. And uh, I was like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm surprised to see you, you know, especially this early. Like, that you'd be whatever. And um, she's like, yeah, I missed you. I missed you. And I thought, wow. Like, by that point, I, I was, I mean, straight up, like, emotionally, like, a wreck and abused. And so, like, to hear that was like, wow. Like, this is exactly what I had hoped you would hear. Maybe, maybe this is a turning point, you know? And um, so she came inside. She laid down on the couch, put her head on the, on, on my lap and she, she napped for 45 minutes. And for that 45 minutes, I had myself, my wife and my dog and just me like sitting there as a family, as a unit, as, as like this, this little beacon of hope right there in that moment. And I wanted to hold on to that. She woke up and, uh, you know, I'm rubbing her back and I'm like, hey, listen, uh, what, are you, what are you doing this weekend? Um, I'd love to spend some time with you. Which, by the way, um, asking your wife, what are you doing this weekend? Should have been, it should be everybody's clue how fucked up this relationship had gotten to that point because we just did not know each other's schedule and it was, it was totally detached. So I asked her, what are you doing this weekend? I'd love to spend some time with you. She stops and she looks at me and she says, I'm going back to Rhode Island, actually. And something just switched in me. Um, it became very clear. Um, so I stopped, took a deep breath. And I looked at her and I said, 
I'm done. And from that moment on, I basically changed everything from my life from a money management perspective. I took over all of our finances, which she had been basically controlling up until that point. I started getting back to the gym heavily. Um, I started focusing even more on my job and reinvesting in my friends and relationships and, and that sort of thing altogether. Um, it wasn't until later that I found this wanting less idea and concept, but it was at that point that I knew um, I was fighting for something that was dead. And uh, now it's time to fight for me and to be honest for me. And let me tell you, the moment that I, that liberation moment, as terrifying as it was to break free and to give my permission to live me again, unapologetically, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Yours is a story that with different characters and slightly different contexts plays out in so many lives. Um, actually, you said it yeah. best right at the end, fighting for something that's dead. You also mentioned the concept of comfort. And this is what I actually want to tap into with you. Um, it's funny, it just comes off the back of me editing my next book. And there's this whole chapter or set of chapters on what I call the familiar zone, which is the comfort zone, but what it really is, because it's not very comfortable to be there, you know. Um, <laughs> yes. And you just kind of described that, you know, fighting for something that's dead on paper, you've got everything, you got the dog and the girl and the nice little life and so on. Mm. But you sound quite decidedly uncomfortable for huge portions of that. And yet you keep struggling to keep it. What is that? Why do we do that? Well, it's kind of like the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't type of thing. But for me, um, a lot of it was based on principle. Um, I was married, right? Like you, you fight for your, your relationship and everybody goes through problems, right? Everybody goes through trials and tribulations. But what, one of the most liberating things for me um, in general is that you can go a multitude of paths in your life uh, so long as your intentions are good and you're thinking along the right lines. Um, and you can be okay, right? A pastor once told me that actually. He said, you know, it's, we always talk about God's will and like what that means and uh, whether you're thinking it from a religious standpoint or not. Um, people rack their brains. What is God's will? What is, what is, what should I do? What should I do? It's like, fuck that, man. Like, what do you want to do? What is going to, what habits are going to lead to the desired future that you have and want? And uh, for me, I broke free in that moment from this constraint that I had to fight for a marriage based on principle and based on what others had taught me um, you should do when somebody is not treating you right. And um, what I should say leading up to that point was, you know, I was, I was reading a lot of books. I was, you know, just trying to figure out like, how do I get through this and become a better man uh, once we fix this? That was the whole intention, right? Once we fix this marriage, um, how do I become a better man for myself and for her so this never happens again and we can come out stronger? What I didn't realize at the time was I was actually creating a better version of myself for myself, <laughs> just for myself and then my future spouse and whoever I was going to be with after the fact, but mostly just for myself. And um, once I broke, started like 
taking little steps for myself of freedom, um, I noticed that I started feeling really comfortable, really um, almost like I was hitting a stride. Like, like when you're at the airport and you're, you're walking faster than everybody else because you're in that conveyor belt, you're on that belt that's going, uh, that's getting you to the place. That's kind of what I felt. It was, it was very natural. It was very, I was just, and, it, and everybody else was trying to live in someone else's skin. So to answer your question, we do it because we're terrified. I think we're terrified to trust ourselves and our own faculties um, because we're taught really not to do that. We're taught to, and we, we're told to, we're told to like trust our own faculties. We're told to, you know, like go and be and do whatever you want, but, but nobody shows you how to be confident with that. Nobody shows you how to be unapologetic. Nobody shows you how to be honest. You know what I'm saying? Like, obviously you know about that part. Um, nobody, it, it's like teaching somebody in religious groups. It's like teaching them don't have sex until you're married, but when you go get married, have a, amazing wonderful sex and just give yourselves to each other but there's a lot of shame that's involved there's a lot of like protection and you you've thought of sex as this uh this like shameful thing that you you have to wait on and and now um you're supposed to just switch your your mind without any training or protection or um excuse me training or understanding or learning from those who've come before you or practice safely it, it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense at all and um I just think that we do that. We go with what we know, even if it's hurting us, because we are taught to fear the other, the outside. And we're taught to fear our own power in a lot of ways. Not directly, but indirectly. That's my short answer. Mid to long answer. <laughs> uh, you're, you're touching on a key thing that I've noticed come up being a coach which is one of the, just the core issues is somebody doesn't trust themselves. They don't trust themselves to go down that. I call it being the tip of the arrowhead where you cut the path and nobody does it for you. So you're making it up and there's people behind you maybe following. So you got this pressure not to fuck it up and people are watching and so on. That's essentially what you did is it sounds like that moment where you said, I'm done. What you're really saying is like, I'm going to take the steering wheel now. Whoever else is driving is not doing a good job. So I'm going to drive now. Can't be working. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's yes. isn't it amazing. It looks like you make all your own choices and then you get to a point and you feel like you've made none at all. And it's just incredible yes. how many people, that was my epiphany as well. You know, you made a good point. Um, I, I frame it as being told to just be yourself and you're told, you know, you're told to, to live in a certain way. But then as soon as you go to do it, it's like, no, not like that. No, not like that either. No, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, that's offensive. Yeah. But, and so you're like, this be yourself thing comes with a lot of conditions, you know? And then after a while, it comes with so many conditions, I can't do it at all. Uh, yes. And a very, very con contradictory, confusing message. So I think we're raised with this concept, like every time we tried to run the ship ourselves, we got into that big mysterious thing called trouble, you know, yeah. disapproval and um condemnation from others and, and eventually we go you know i can't be trusted to steer this thing i just, I just get into too much trouble i i'm with you and oh gosh with i'm, I'm trying not to go down this rabbit hole but I, I grew up very trusting of people very optimistic and i think you know thinking that more people have good in their hearts than, than they do and it's not that i think that people have evil in their hearts i think people are taught to envy through the their parents example their family their friends example um, 
they're taught to bring their uh, the other person down as a strategy to rise themselves up. It's no different than a schoolyard bully. Um, that's what they do. Hurt people, hurt people, right? So I always knew I'd never be that type of person and, and whatnot, but um, I, you can't help but absorb through osmosis those same tricks of the trade, if you will. Um, uh, my, my version was I wanted my significant other to validate who I am and what I'm about. Um, and every moment that she did not do that because frankly, she wanted her own world. And that's, that's, I'm not even mad at her about that. I don't even hold anything against her for that. Every moment she didn't do that, I lost a piece of me, um, which is completely my fault. And it, that's something we talked about towards the end was she wanted she felt like I never stood up for myself, which was very funny. Like it was very ironic because uh, I don't want to paint her out to be a bad person or anything like that. She just wanted something different and we didn't know it until later. Um, and it, the way it played out was not great, but at the same time, I feel like she's living the life she wants to live. And so am I. Um, when the writing was on the wall, what I started to do in little increments was I would find books uh, about a subject that I felt like I needed really badly. So there were books about, you know, self-confidence, self-help, and I really got into that. But I also surrounded myself and found new friends, people that, I, that encouraged me um, to believe that what I brought to the table had value in and of itself apart from someone else. Um, whether that's somebody in the internet that's, that you can find, that's great, or in person or whatever it may be. I think that's so important to um, create an atmosphere that you absorb that energy and that uh, affirmation that you, that you might need if you're struggling with it on your own. I, I feel I'm very unique in that way. Like I had a good family that loves me and, you know, they always encouraged me there, but I wanted it from someone else that I didn't inherit. Uh, that was my downfall, I think, for, for so many years. That was my issue is I, I wanted to earn it in a different way um, to the point where I went too far with it, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting affirmation from somebody who's outside your family who loves you unconditionally. It's going to say, even if you're a serial killer, they love you. Um, conditions. Um, but for me, I struggled with that so much because I, I'm, uh, I'm so relational. I'm a serial monogamist. I, I'm so like, I need that affirmation from my significant other and, and my loved ones and that sort of thing in that way. Um, but it was, I, I didn't realize that it wasn't until I claimed my own identity and my own uh, purest form of who I am and what I'm about um, that, that I found joy. And the way it played out, if you don't mind me riffing on this here, the way that played out was, I'm thinking back, the, the moment that it happened, um, I almost immediately took over our finances because she had been controlling our money for, for the, whole, the whole time. Um, and I'm like, I, we've got to put together a simple budget. If we're going to make it, or we're not, or whatever's going to happen. Um, I, I need to have, be in control of this. So before I made that final decision, I um, actually uh, had started created a budget for us. And I found that we had significantly more income than we had payments at the end of the day, um, which was incredibly infuriating because we were literally broke. We were paying late fees on bills. We were, you know, it was just like things were behind, and and you know, some a couple of my credit cards went into collections. I, I only recently got those figured out, like today, things like that. And 
it wasn't until I claimed that ownership of like, no, I'm capable of doing this. Even if I don't know fully how to do it, I'm going to be brave enough and courageous enough to do this. And I'll figure this out. That's what we've been afraid to do this whole time is to say that I don't know, to raise the white flag and say, I surrender to my own incapabilities, but I'm going to figure this out or we're going to do this the right way. And if I could say anything to anybody, my Lord, bet on yourself, man. Bet on yourself in these moments because if you talk to anybody who's forged their own path, there's a moment or moments that they've had to do that. There's no way to get from where you are to where you want to be without doing it. I think this is what we really need to get into because there's a, there's this fascinating thing. That I had a similar kind of breakthrough to you when I finally decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make the mistakes and do it all. I'm just going to do everything. We'll just see what happens. Let shit fall apart. At least yeah. I'll be able to say it's because of me and I won't be like, who did this? There was a kind of analogy that popped into my head when I started seeing this problem with people, which was most people know how to drive a car. And especially at my age, it's a manual, you know, a stick. And when you first get into a car, it's like a fucking spaceship. Like you just have no idea what to do with all this stuff. You've got dials and lights and you've got this thing and this thing and then pedals with your feet. Like I'm going to use my hands and my feet doing different things. Like, it's like having two different brains and your first few goes you're like stalling all the time or you jam on the brakes way too hard or you panic and steer into a letterbox or whatever and you have your like learning development phase and then 10 years later you're like on the phone and eating while you drive with your elbows in traffic you know it's yeah it's like it's nothing <laughs> and nearly everybody has that experience or something similar something they learn from scratch that at the beginning looks monstrously difficult and they've gotten to the level where they're autopilot it's so easy and if nobody thinks that they can do this just let me ask you can you talk can you walk can you identify objects because that's the same like you learn that before you're five but it was that difficult to learn so people have got actually if they looked into it they've got lists of thousands of things where they went from i don't have a fucking clue how to do this at all through to such mastery that they can do it automatically. And yet they still don't back themselves for the next thing that they feel uncertain about. It's really kind of irrational not to back yourself. It's like, you are a machine designed to learn stuff from scratch. I don't know is step one. It's not step zero. And I think you really tapped into something, which is people go, I can't start with I don't know, which really means I can't start. You know? How did you get yes. to a point where yes. you were able to accept it? How did you get to the point where you were able to remove the shame around, I don't know? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I, I'd say, I think desperation really overrode my other emotions. Um, and we use desperation as a term that's, that's a negative thing. It's, it's not always. Desperation has caused people to do so many amazing things or, or it's been the fuel for many uh, endeavors that are, are well worth it. I basically reached a point where it was too painful to stay where I was. Um, it was more painful to stay where I was than to try something new. That, that's what it was. It was that breaking point where um, I knew, um, you know, I, I knew the relationship was falling apart, but I, I couldn't really afford to live on my own, but I had to figure out a way. You know, I knew reclaim my energy and reclaim my strength 
I needed to get back, back in there and put better food in my body. Um, I needed to stop feeling sorry for myself if I was going to get out of that, that path. And it's stuff that you hear throughout your life. It's these cliche terms, it's these cliche things that people tell you and, you know, stories that you hear. We're not idiots, right? Like we, we read stories, we hear stories. There are movies based around these habits that people have that started from zero and went to a hundred and they forged their path by doing certain things. We see that example, even if it's not in our own family or our friend group, we see it. We're not stupid. So for me, it was like, all right, well, like I've got nothing to lose here. Like the, the whole thing that I, my whole relationship that I had banked on for my future is, is falling apart before my eyes. I'm starting a new job as well, which is really, really difficult, but I have a knack for it or whatever. But it's like, why, why not now? Like, what could I possibly lose by trying to go down this path? Um, so sorry, not sure, not sure if that's answering your question, but, um, I just, I liked, I liked the idea of tapping into energy sources from wherever they come. If that's fear or desperation or concern or whatever, anxiety, whatever it may be, use it, use it, man. As Denzel Washington says that from Remember the Titans. Um, when, uh, I think it was like PD or something like that, running back, he says, uh, you know, he's like pissed about something. And then he says, you got anger. That's good, son. Use that anger. And like that, and you know, use it in a controlled effort to, you know, like, come out and, you know, for the, for the team and so on and so forth. But, you know, Mark Manson talks about this. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, he's the author of, yeah. Um, great, great, great author. I just love his direct style. Reminds me of yours. And, um, you know, he, he talks about how, you know, emotion is often the, the fuel. It's the, it's the launch pad for our bodies. Um, how we use that is a different story. And that's where it comes into more of a finesse and, um, thoughtfulness and that sort of thing, but our emotions are good. We need that. We can't be stoic to get through this life. Um, you can't propel yourself into a better future by just using logic. You're, you're going to run out of steam really, really quickly. Um, so for me, it's, it was about taking the energy in whatever form it came, it came, even if that was anger and using that to construct a life that's better for me that I know will be much more efficient and effective and carry me into the future at more effortlessly um, than, than before. I don't know if that answered your question. If you wanna... I think the answer's in there, you know? I think there's bits and pieces. Um, and the key element, I mean, I called my first, my well, second book, uh, Nothing to Lose. And it's talking about what you're talking about right now, which is, that's when we make our best decisions is when we let go of the idea that there's actually something to lose, which is always an illusion. We either have things or we yeah. don't. And really we don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're actually always in that position of nothing to lose, but we very rarely come to awareness of it. And I love how you talked about, I think I'll even probably entitle this podcast. Desperation is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Instead of, trying to suppress that emotion or drown it in alcohol or avoid it or whatever it was your launch pad like yeah. why else would we feel desperate when we desperately need to do something you know that's clearly what that emotion's for and that crisis feeling um mm -hmm. so you had this combination of fuck it i've got nothing to lose combined with this kind of powerful emotional platform to work with like if you ever needed find the balls to look at your budget you know desperation's right there for you anger's there for you frustration's there for exactly 
you're already there. You're already, that's the thing is like, you're already, um, I was working with this girl who she's going through divorce as well. Like at my job, like at my job. And I was, I was telling her, I was like, listen, you're already in the throes. You're already in the depths of this. Use that anger, use that time. And of course, you know, you need to talk to people and we, we, we talked and, and I was like, you know, she got in touch with the therapist and that sort of thing. Cause I think all those, all those tools are necessary. But I said, I said, we spend so much of our life trying to avoid any sort of conflict within ourselves um, and to live this comfortable life when, when the conflict is the path, like, or what is it? The, the, what's that phrase? The uh, obstacle is the way. The obstacle is the way that's, that's it. The work is the freedom, like in a, in a way. Um, if there's, if there's one thing that our brains are designed to do, it's to adapt. It's to, uh, overcome and survive the next step. So in a world when in 2020, where most of our basic, all of our basic needs are met, um, and probably too easy. And we are, we are being sent messages from the top and from the sides that, you know, you are helpless. You need the help of the government. You need the help of these organizations. You need the help of your teachers or your parents or your friends or whatever it is. And you can't do things on your own. Um, the antidote to that is to take radical steps to reclaim your own uh, truth and your, your own power. Um, a friend of mine, Dr. Bridget Cooper, talks about that all the time, claiming your power for what it is. Because yours is going to be different from somebody else's. Don't try to make it theirs, right? It's don't try, uh, um, what is it? Uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I, I heard that's one of my favorite lines of all time. And I, I was constantly comparing myself, not to others per se, I was comparing myself to this idealized version of what I had planned for my life. And if it didn't play out that way, I was a failure. And I let go of that and thought, fuck, like I've failed trying to create a story that was never going to happen. And it's not a failure. That's just, that's just destiny. And that's okay that's good. So and I, I harp on the budgeting thing because I think you can learn a lot from managing your money uh, and how it plays out in other aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. But what was crazy was at the time, um, and I knew it was falling apart. I started looking at the money and I, I had two, I had two, two lists. Um, again, during the time that I, before I had made the decision to, to separate, I saw the budget when we were together and I was like, oh, okay, we're good. We're good here. And then I saw my budget on my own. And I thought, fuck, like, uh-oh, this is, I'm going to have to figure something out. I mean, I have to sell more, which I can't really control um, immediately. Um, the sales cycles and commission cycles are months out apart or I'm going to have to find a side gig. So for right, immediately, right off the bat, um, I was driving Uber to and from work before and after work and on weekends. Um, in fact, even if I would go out with friends, um, I would drive for about an hour and a half before I would go out to friends. I would buy two nips for a dollar each and maybe three if I'm going to get wild. And then I would, you know, drink while we were out, you know, have a good time. And then, you know, four or five hours later, I would just drive home and I wouldn't, I wouldn't drive Uber uh, drinking, of course, but I, on the way there, I would earn, you know, 50, 60 bucks or something like that. Every little bit count. Uh, just to give you an idea of like how I spent my days, um, it was work, 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 
do whatever I can to dig myself out of this hole. And it took me months to get to the point where I was, I had just a hundred dollars or $200 more per month than my bills living on my own. It took me forever. I was, I was like, the needle was very, very thin for, for quite some time, but I knew that it was worth it because I was doing it on my own and I had nobody telling me that I should do things differently. I, kn- I had nobody telling me that, that, Hey, uh, you know, like this shouldn't be when in fact it just was. And we need to embrace what is rather than what we want it to be or what we feel like it should be and that sort of thing. So uh, I know I'm kind of going off on a lot of tangents here, but um, I felt um, I felt it was important to to harp on if you're, uh, especially from a money management perspective, um, once you can get control of your finances um, in a very, very basic way, you will have demonstrated to yourself that you're capable of not only addressing your current concerns for what they are and the reality that you're living in today, um, which is very powerful antidote. Um, you're able to also forecast for the future and see a more clear and brighter future for yourself. That brought me more peace than I probably anything overall um, in general. Mon- money is just something we, I think a lot of us overlook and we think, oh, well, we'll accrue more over life. But what are you doing with what you have now? And it, it has, there are so many similarities to how you handle your money and how you handle the rest of your life. You can get one down, you can get the other. That's my two cents on that. Oh, I couldn't agree more on that. I think you know people demonize money and, and or they just ignore it and they're afraid of it. And, and I was both of those things for a long time. And then I realized money is symbolic. I mean, in a literal way, it's symbolic. There's really no substance to money. It's just numbers on a screen that we agree upon. But even more so than that, like you said, once I started budgeting and once forecasting like okay if i want that in the future there's a step-by-step process and there's little sacrifices i'll need to make to get there and i learned how to invest which is a concept that goes far beyond money just like trying to learn something from i don't know through to mastery no you're not going to figure it out in a day nobody ever has but a lot of people have figured it out and you've got to figure out what they know that you don't like you want to be able to you know, win an MMA match, well, first you've got to go down and learn how to throw a punch and that's going to take you ages and you're going to have to work really yeah. hard and you're going to get your ass whooped like 95% of the time for the first couple of years because you're going to suck compared to everyone else. But when you learn how to manage money, you understand, well, that's part of the process. That's not a bad thing. And if I choose it, I actually enjoy it. If it's forced upon me, I feel this is unfair. But if I'm like, you know what, I choose to invest, I choose to take things slow, I choose to be the beginner, I choose to be the naive one who gets his ass kicked in whichever format. You know, I mean, most people don't budget because they just don't want to look at their spending because they're scared of what they'll have to give up or what they'll find or that they'll find something horrible, like it's not possible for them to survive or something. But really, yeah, you know what I was thinking before is, so many times when you ask someone what their excuse is or their reason for not doing something that's good for them, they say, well, I don't know how. And in my mind, I'm always screaming, well, fucking learn then. Right? Like, <laughs> of course you don't. You were born knowing how to like suck on a nipple and cry. That's it. That's what you started with. You yeah. learned everything else from nothing. So this is just another thing you're going to have to learn from nothing. So why is, I don't yes. know how suddenly becoming an excuse. It wasn't an excuse when you were a kid. 
you're a dumbass back then. What's yes. your excuse now? So you seem to really embrace <laughs> that. Like I'll figure it out. I'll start from, I don't know. I, this is mine to fix mine to deal with. And that's yours. And you take that. I'm not going to do that for you. And yeah. One of the key principles that I've discovered are like the pillars of confidence in your story. You know, a lot of the, oh, well, wow. Thank you. that uh, well, are just undeniable. I, I think, uh, I had a great example, which is my dad. Um, you know, my, my dad grew up in rural Missouri, Illinois. And, um, you know, he, he basically, um, I mean, from the beginning, it was a two-year-old baby. He had spinal meningitis, which is a bacterial infection and, uh, you know, was near death. Um, I remember that, uh, basically, uh, the doctor at the time, uh, for as accurate or inaccurate as he was, uh, he said he was 30 minutes away from arriving to the emergency room before he died. My, my grandfather told me that um, he was at basically having an, infe um, an infection that had like gone to his brain. And as a two-year-old baby, um, he, he, was, he was so sick and uh, in shock that his, the feet, his feet were touching the back of his head as he laid in the uh, front seat. No seatbelt, no nothing. My grandfather flying down the highway, and my, my dad's literally like in a, um, I don't know, like a curled up position where the again, like he's backwards, like his spine is just uh, backwards. They get to the hospital. He, sur he survived, but he had, you know, he was sickly. He was a sickly child. He um, he couldn't read until he was in his mid twenties. He was abused. Um, I he hasn't told me outright, but other things as well, like just multiple types of abuse um, as a child um, and uh, hated by his family. Basically, he was the ugly stepchild or the ugly, but he was actually the, the child, but he was treated like the ugly stepchild. Basically, hit, punched, smacked, hated, uh, treated poorly until he was an adult. Um, alcoholic, the whole thing, in and out of jail. And by the time he was in his mid-20s, he kind of had to, he literally had to come to Jesus moment, found religion and changed his whole life around, uh, met my mother and, and, uh, you know, he still had demons to battle for, for his whole life, but he's a fighter. That's the thing. He, I, I learned from my dad to fight, uh, for what it was, even though I had a life where, where pretty much everybody around me loved me. Um, I learned to fight for what is mine and my own worth. Um, so we need those examples in our life, even if it doesn't come in the form of our own parents, um, or whatever it may be, we, that's, a huge starting point I think for so many of us is we we need to seek out those people um, that are going to at least listen to what is on our mind um, at the at the least at the most we need folks that are going to affirm our worth um, in, in our life and I, I think that's a very uh, intentional skill to, to learn in and of itself and what's cool is as we're talking about this you'll find when you put that energy out there and you look for folks um, everybody's looking for the same thing, by the way. <laughs> so a great way to get affirmation for yourself is to affirm somebody else. And that's, uh, that's a beautiful foundation to build a relationship off of. So that was, that was, that was the point I want to bring. I want to bring up my dad because he's, I'm going to have him on my show as well. Um, I'm gonna, I, I, I think he's, he's taught me so many things in my life, but he's taught me to fight for my own worth. Um, but I wanted to just real quick get back to like the money thing and the money management thing. Um, that is something that I help people through. And, and it, I think it's worth at least bringing up on the show. 
mm. is uh, I put together kind of like a budget tool that you can kind of look at what things are right for what they are today. I show you how to do it. Um, I'm going to come out with a quick YouTube video series and how to like go through every slide and, and just build your own thing. But the, the goal behind it is for you to take a reasonable action step towards um, financial freedom, wealth, et cetera, based on how experts have done it before us. So you, you brought that up, right? You brought that up that point of look at the people that have done it before you and emulate their behaviors. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, there, there is a path for almost every single thing that you want to do in this life, but there are some things that are easier to understand than others. And this happens to be one of the really easy ones if you just know where to look. Um, so I, my goal for people is to get their money under control, um, learn how to do so very easily with all the steps. Uh, you don't, you know, you just have to plug in the numbers and maintain it after the fact, but also to teach them to look at the reality for what it is and teach yourself that to, to apply the principle outside of money as well. That's I, if I can stress one thing, it's live in the truth that you're in, not the truth that you want it to be and build the reality that you'd like in the future off of that truth. That's the only way you're going to get to where you are is acknowledging where you are today so 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 crucial and apparently very terrifying because very few people uh, do it but like you've noticed like once you're through the other side you're like yeah that hurt but so much better like you say it's like being in a truthful place you're like at least i know what's up now like i know what i'm dealing with yeah. I have the face of my enemy sort of thing rather than this just shadow hanging over you and you're just like well, where is this misery coming from so well because you're living in a fantasy yeah. world you're yeah, real life is constantly at, at odds with what you hope is happening. And that's why, actually, you mentioned that before, you know, expectations being away from reality. That's the recipe for unhappiness, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And, and I think it's a great place uh, to wrap up because I'll, I'll uh, ask you in a sec where people can go to, to find your work and to learn more about that. But I want to just, I want to validate one more point you made when it comes to reaching out to finding these great people to bring into your life is you start with giving to them, which is again, very indicative of a, of a fundamental shift where you go to get validation from people is, is you go to give it yeah. and that changes everything yeah. that changes everything. Then you get into a give and receive relationship rather than a get and keep relationship, uh, which is yeah. just, as we both know from experience, just a black hole of misery. Um, <laughs> so yes. somebody wants to check out your podcast. They want to learn more about your budgeting um, advice and tools. Where do they go? Yeah, really simple. Uh, wantinglesson.org on the front page. Uh, there's going to be um, links to listen to the podcast. There's going to be a link, uh, like a photo that you can click on that uh, allows you to download the, the budgeting tool uh, you, my contact page is there. My YouTube videos, um, the link is there. Um, but I'm, I'm also trying my hand at blogging a little bit as well because I do like to, to write. I think there's just certain things that can come out when you write it down and take your time with then, then free form, as you can see by my scattered brain that I need to get under control, hence mm -hmm. the wanting less philosophy that I came up with uh, or followed. Uh, but wantingless.org is the way. I'm also on Instagram and uh, I have a Facebook community that uh, you can find 
um, at, uh, if you just reach out to me, I'll invite you as a member. Um, you can find me at wantinglesspodcast at gmail.com. You can send an email. Um, tons of different ways to connect with me, but the idea for the Facebook group in particular is to get people together who are uh, searching for their own thing, whatever it is that their thing is, no judgment, no, um, what's, no thing whatsoever um, outside of affirming what you want to do, finding what you want to do to begin with, and getting after it like your life depended on it. And I'm going to be there with you guys. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to include the links to all that stuff in our show notes as well. So people can just scroll down and get into it. Um, like I said, you know, I, I have an instinct, I guess, trusting myself. Uh, when it comes to spotting people who it's really hard to put a word to it, the way perhaps there is a certain formula to self-confidence that I do believe is universal. I don't see anyone finding it by doing it some bizarre way that doesn't match the way others are doing it and it's around finding your own principles trusting yourself living in that kind of almost informed instinct kind of way um yeah and a lot of the value the thing yeah the thing you know uh, i call it integrity (laughs) there's lots of different words for it the the philosophy goes back through everything ancient christianity ancient islam stoicism there's been mention Mm. of this all since the beginning of recorded history certain people have found this thing that makes life very satisfying but not many people seem to have found it and it's because they're locked like you and i both were into these patterns that prevent it like i think you mentioned it right at the start you have a problem and you try to solve it with your strategy without realizing your strategy is what causes your problems so now you're just doubling down like, like I was a super nice guy, people pleaser. And if something went wrong, I tried to people please my way out of it without realizing people pleasing yes. is why something went wrong. So it's like eating poison yes. to get healthy. It's just, it can't work. Um, yeah. Crazy stuff. I, I was to, to, to add to what you just said. Um, I, I've been speaking to this guy as an executive coach and, and he, uh, he's trying to get me to focus on, how do I find joy in what I do every single day? And this is at my, my regular job. Um, because right now with COVID and everything, things have slowed down. I'm, I'm stressed and frustrated. And, um, and I kept saying, I just feel like if I was able to manage my time better and focus and do my one thing at a time and that sort of thing, um, I, you know, it would be, it would be great, but I try to do it and, you know, I find myself distracted and I do this, that, and the other. And uh, he's like, well, what's going to solve that? And I said, well, if I'm able to focus on the one thing at a time and just like time block and blah, blah, blah. And he said, it sounds like you're trying to fix your problem with your problem. Trying to, you're trying to do the, you're frustrated you can't do this thing and you want to do that thing to, to be able to do the thing. And that, do you see how that doesn't, the, the connection isn't there? And um, you, you said it exactly the same way. Um, so what he's been teaching me about is how, what do you want to feel when you're doing what you're doing? And that my friend has been, uh, quite a journey that I'm still on right now and figuring out. So perhaps that's, uh, something for our next talk, uh, to, to mm. bring up on the conversation. Yeah. We've always got the next thing we've got to work on. There's no finish line to this, but there's, there's what I call a tipping point of confidence which is once you balance the scale in the other direction, life just keeps getting better. Like you're, you're past the suffering mm-hmm. misery stage and you've tipped it. But 
that is also a spectrum that never ends. Like I always have my next thing that I'm baffled about and stressed out about. Um, but yeah. at least now, you know, I think you and I are both in a place where I'm like, this life will do. Yep. I don't want to swap now. There's no more fantasy. There's just this life. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really great thought um, to, to end with is, is when I created this, it was not to build CEOs out of the listeners and cre uh, create these one-off type of like superb individuals that are going to be the future leaders of the world. That's not the point. The point is to tap into your thing and your potential and, and whatever it is, um, not, not again, not, not to become an Olympic athlete, but to get into the shape where you feel, I feel good about my body. I feel healthy. I feel well. I feel like I'm being a responsible steward of this body that I'm in. I feel like I'm managing my, my money well and setting up a, I, I am changing my family tree for the better from a money management perspective, from a money having and wealth building perspective, um, an emotional intelligence perspective. I am happy with the skin that I am in. That is it, man. And I think that's exactly what you're trying to do as well. If, if we can achieve that, my God, we could change the world. And that's, that's really what I, I hope to do more than anything else. Well, hopefully people listening get to have a taste of that message. You know, that's the whole point is we spread the good word. And um, yeah, like I said, I, I only like talking to people who have actually lived it. There's a lot of people out there with theories. But I'm like, yeah, but what did you do though? And yours is one where the theory came after the action, not before. Um, and so you've, you've kind of earned the satisfaction you have with yourself. And you don't need my validation because you've had to come to a place where you're the one that goes, yeah, you're doing it right now. Um, yeah. And, yeah sure. and that really is the goal, isn't it? Like, I can't get this across to people enough. You could end up being an anonymous, unwealthy person, still be really happy with who you are. It really comes down to how you're living and how you're dealing with the, the hand you've been dealt sort of thing. And yes. yeah, it's uh a lot of people are trying to be something they're not and they don't understand that's what causes them their misery. I like the way you said I'm a good steward of this body. Like it's not so much about being the Olympic athlete, even if that's the end game, but the process of getting there, you're like, you know what I think of as the absolute tipping point of confidence is when you can say without any doubt, I don't want to be anyone else. You know, you just yeah. at that point and you're like, this can still get better. I've still got work. But I, I like this project. This I'm, I'm going to stick with this one. You know, I'm going to ride this one out and see where it goes. I like where he's going. Um, and a lot of people, I, I love that. A yeah. lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people, I'm like, if I could swap you for that big celebrity or that powerful person or that super attractive person, they'd be like, sign me up. You know. Yeah. Whereas, like, there that's, are people who not, are. Yeah. That that's just not that's not the point of living your life, and that's not an option. That's the thing is when we. We have this condition that we live, we want to live um, a life that is never going to happen um, or in the skin of somebody that, that is we're never going to live within and that sort of thing. And it's, um, it's incredibly dangerous for us to not challenge that, um, which again, that's, that's a whole other conversation to have, but uh, you're right. The goal should absolutely, I'm going to use that. The goal should absolutely be to get to a point where you're like, I am happy with this life that I've built for myself, which I think is important to say I've built 
for myself um, because you cannot feel pride. You cannot feel joy. You cannot feel accomplishment without having something to overcome and to embrace that challenge, embrace that uh, problem or whatever it is, that obstacle that's in front of you, um, whether you're afraid or you're not and do it, and get after it. That in and of itself builds the pride that leads to joy, that leads to happiness, that leads to peace. And I think that's, uh, if that's what we get after for the rest of our careers, uh, I think it's a noble cause. Couldn't agree more, basically. I'm glad I, uh, glad I discovered you. And um, thank you so much. You for, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing uh, in personal detail your story. Like I think I told you before, this, this podcast is really actually mentioning what you're talking about as the role models. This is how it's actually done. This is what actually happens and this is how much it actually hurts. And this is the real life version and not the hyped up marketing version that you're being sold. You know, this is what yeah. the real people do. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. And um, we will definitely be talking again. Mm-hmm.